Plankton, Texas. He's preached there since 2008. He's a graduate from Oklahoma Christian, is married to Maggie, a kindergarten teacher who is with him tonight. And uh, he has two wonderful children, Macy and Weaver. Uh, Ryan has been here before, always challenges us and uplifts us. So I know he will do a wonderful job tonight. Ryan, come and talk. Thank you, Doug. Last summer when I was here, or at least the last time I was here, uh, Doug wanted to go to dinner, and so I appreciated that. I told him when we were on our way that I had a, had a challenge for him. I said, how about we do this? How about we have this game where we'll ask questions, and when you ask a question, you've got to answer it, and the first person who asks a question they can't answer, they have to pay for dinner. And he said, okay. And I said, I'll start. I said, how does a rabbit dig a hole? And I said, from the inside, to which he replied, how does a rabbit dig a hole from the inside? And I said, I don't know. That's your question. (laughs) So thanks for dinner last year. I appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, Hosea is going to be our text for tonight. We're going to walk through a certain portion of it. Really, the beginning we're going to focus on a little bit. The first verse we're going to look at is verse 2. If you have your smartphones or your tablets, direct those Bible apps to Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. While you're doing that, Let's say a quick word of prayer together. Father, at this time I pray that you speak, either through me or in spite of me. Let those with ears to hear, hear the word. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. I don't know exactly why, but Americans love a good scandal, don't they? You know, we just kind of eat up scandals. We just love it whenever a politician you know, or some government official is caught up in some salacious affair or something, or when some celebrity's acting wild, you know, we, we just buy those gossip magazines and read all about it. Or even, even personally, when, when we, someone we know has their secrets exposed, we kind of want the details. You know, tell me, tell me more. Tell me about the details. We love a good scandal. Why is that? Why do we love a good scandal? You know, there's kind of all kinds of psychological reasons, perhaps. Maybe it's it's making us feel self-righteous, you know, we can sort of look down our nose at them. Or maybe it's something that's exciting about watching someone in our culture break rules and get away with it, but then they get caught. Or maybe we're just bored and it's kind of something, I guess, to do. But bottom line is, the more salacious the news, the better it sells. Why? Because we love a good scandal. Well, if the Israelites had Google in 750 B.C., the number one search term would have been Hosea and Gomer. Why? Because of a scandal. And it was a juicy one. Look at chapter 1, verse 2 of Hosea. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. And the next thing you know, you find yourself at the supermarket checkout line in Israel, and there between the hummus and the Tic Tacs is the headline, Local Prophet Marries Prostitute. And then another one says, Holy Man Hosea hooks up with a hooker. And can I also just pause and say, that has to be the worst ministry assignment ever. The Hebrew word that's translated promiscuous woman could be translated as wanton woman or uh, prostitute perhaps. Harlot is another word. The bottom line is, God tells one of His prophets to go marry an extremely immoral woman. Why this marriage? Why a marriage to make an impression? Well, for one thing, the Word of God was no longer having an effect on the Hebrews. After all, Hosea could have said, 
you know, this is what the Lord says. But the problem was there were a lot of prophets saying this is what the Lord says, but not all of them were telling the truth. But a marriage between a preacher and a harlot, that's going to make everyone sit up and pay attention. Just like when Tiger, Tiger Woods, wrecks his car at the bottom of his driveway and he's got one of his nine irons impaled in the back, it's, it's, the whole country can, is just talking about it. And that's exactly what was happening in the Hebrew nation. It got everyone talking. Everyone was talking about Hosea and Gomer. And that's exactly what God wanted. Because the moment they got on their moral high horse, the moment they said, look at this wanton woman that Hosea has chosen as his wife, Hosea could then turn around and say, and that is exactly how you've treated God. You see this happen actually some other places, particularly in the Old Testament with these prophets. Isaiah, he had another whacked out assignment. Isaiah went, well, his backside was naked and he went barefoot for three years, all as a sermon illustration. Jeremiah had a belt. Some scholars say it was essentially underwear that he wore and then buried under a rock and left it there for quite some time, came back and then put it back on, all to make a point about the morality of the Hebrew nation. You have Jeremiah in another place wearing an ox uh, harness, and he wore that until eventually another prophet broke that off of him. Hosea's task, though, that's got to be more personally difficult. To intentionally go marry a woman that you know will, will step out on you. You know she's going to have liaison with other men. Why would God do that? He says in verse 2, For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. He's playing on a metaphor that's incredibly popular in the Old Testament, the metaphor of a marriage between God as the bride and the nation of Israel as or God as the, as the groom and the nation of Israel as the bride. And Israel here is the unfaithful bride. She's the unfaithful spouse and she forsakes God and she runs after other gods. And rather than relying on God's provision, she is seeking uh, other, other gods for comfort and pleasure in Canaanite idolatry, which, yeah, by the way, Canaanite idolatry, worship of, of the Canaanite gods, oftentimes involves sexual promiscuity. So he's maybe having a double meaning there. But Hosea's marriage would be this parable that's lived out, literally lived out in Hosea's life for how far the relationship between God and His people had deteriorated. You know, adultery is when you give to something else, or give to someone else rather, what you should find in your spouse. When you get from someone else what you should find in your spouse, it's based on the misconception that's this. It's what I'm missing is better than what I have. What I am missing is somehow better than what I have. Perhaps what I have is good or okay or adequate, but what I'm missing is better. What I'm missing, I, I want a little, a little more. Gomer is this woman that Hosea is tasked with marrying. By the way, can we just pause and say, it's bad enough he has to marry a prostitute. Her name is Gomer? Seriously? I only know one Gomer. His last name is Pyle. Well, Hosea is tasked with marrying Gomer. You think about what Hosea offers. I mean, I know he's on a preacher's salary, but 
Well, he's a good guy. He's got a lot going for him. But she thinks, but he's not giving me everything that I want. She is going to step out on him. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. Flip over to one chapter, to chapter 2. He says this, She said, I will go after my lovers who give me food, or give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. What's she after? She's after what she doesn't have. Oh, and that's better than what she does have. So she goes after what she doesn't have. And she does what people have done for centuries, unfortunately, in marriages. She trades the 80 for 20. Would you trade... Would you trade the 80 you have for 20 that you don't have? Because people do that in marriage all the time. They trade the 80 they have for the 20 they don't have. People do that all the time. You say, what are you talking about? Well, in a decent marriage, in a, in a good marriage, a person is going to meet about 80% of your needs. About 80% of your needs. No one is going to meet 100% of your needs. And if you think that that person exists, then you're just probably not married, never have been, and probably never will be. 80%. that's a pretty good marriage. Someone's meeting 80% of your needs. And if you expect 100%, you're you're setting yourself up for failure. But what this person wants is not that 80%. They want the 20% they don't have. And so they trade the 80 for the 20 that they don't have, and they end up with less than they had before. I don't know what 20% it is. Well, he listens to me. Or he complimented me. Or he bought me gifts. In this case... It's, I guess, wool and linen and olive oil and whatever she wants to drink. Or maybe you know, they told her how special she was, or maybe they were made more money than the minister that she was married to, whatever it was in her case. And for the men who do this, you flip it around, well, she doesn't nag me, or she's exciting, or she laughs at my jokes, or she wants to watch sports with me, or she'll actually sleep with me. Whatever it is that you're missing, you trade the 80% for the 20% you lack. What I'm missing is better than what I have. That's what Gomer did. And here's what's interesting. One of the primary sins that God identifies in Israel is that they look to other nations for help. They had, you know, this perception of we're getting 80% of our needs met, but, you know, there is a God in Canaan who is a God of fertility. And boy, that would be kind of nice to have a God of fertility on my side. And so they go and they worship. They trade the 80% for the 20% they don't have. Our primary sin is that we let other things take the place God is supposed to occupy in our hearts. That's really our primary sin. And when I say primary sin, think of it this way. Ask yourself, where do you turn when you're worried? Well, it's not to God. For example, say you're single and you really want to be married. And you're patiently waiting for God and you're doing things the right way. But then you say, you know what, I just, this isn't happening in God's time frame. And so maybe you, you say, maybe I'll try it my way. And now what it is, is you don't really trust God. So you're trying in a different way. Let me tell you what, what I do more and more these days. I marry people who are already living together. And I tell people they've created a problem for me. Because uh, on the one hand, you're asking me to bless something that God uh, has said is wrong. You know, you've kind of gotten this out of order. On the other hand, it's a struggle because if I say no, number one, they'll probably go find someone else to marry them in this culture, and I won't get to influence them at all. And you know, number two, I, I certainly won't have the chance to you know actually you know talk to them, and if and if and if they if I don't do it, they're going to go get someone to marry them anyway. They don't do it God's way. Why? Because they've taken it into their own hands, and their primary sin is not premarital sex. 
is that they don't trust God's plan. They don't trust that he says, this is how you should do it, that if I do it that way, I really will be blessed. I'll be missing out on something. And you carry this out in all kinds of other sins. If you struggle with substance abuse or alcohol abuse, or if you turn to food for comfort, what you're ultimately doing is you're expressing something that's a secondary issue. The primary issue is you're not taking your comfort from the promises of God. I don't really trust what he says. Or take your finances, for example. Where do you look for financial security? You know, one of the reasons that Scripture makes such a big deal about giving your first fruits back to God is that it tells God that you really do trust Him with your future. And the Hebrews were supposed to trust God with their future, which meant they would give joyfully of the 10%, knowing God's going to take care of me. But if you trust primarily in money for your security, of course you don't feel like you can give money away because you depend on it for your future. And when you say that, you reveal your real immorality. Your real immorality is not withholding from God. Your real immorality is not trusting God. God was to be their joy and their delight and their confidence and their trust. And Israel, like this wayward woman, sought those things in something or someone else. And it broke God's heart. And God said to Isaiah, I want to illustrate that for everyone. And so what I want you to do is go marry this unfaithful woman. So Hosea marries Gomer, and in the midst of a scandalous relationship, they actually conceive uh, three children. Uh, and God actually tells Hosea exactly what these three children should be named. The first is Jezreel. And Jezreel was this fruited plain in northern Israel, northern hill country. It was also a route of enemy invasion oftentimes. And so it's sort of this reminder of Israel being invaded by foreign countries. So God wants to remind him of that. The second child is a daughter named Lo-Ruhamai, which is not pitied, which means God's not going to have pity on them whenever these terrible things befall them. And the third child is Lo-Ami. And that name delivers kind of the starkest image yet because Lo-Ami means not my people. And God is saying, you continue to run after other gods, and you're not my people. He's going to punish them and let them just basically give them over to the other lovers that they want. And so that's what Gomer, Hosea's wife, does. She goes after these other lovers who provide her with gifts, and she doesn't realize that it's Hosea who provides for her and loves her, just like Israel does not realize that it is God who provides for her and loves her. And if you read this story, if you're in line, and there's the hummus, and there's the Tic Tacs, and you pick up the story, and you read about this marriage, and then, of course, you start reading about these children that Hosea and Gomer are having together, and you're kind of seeing where all this is going, and and you're hearing about Gomer stepping out on Hosea, you think to yourself, you know what? I would support Hosea if he just walked away from her. She's been unfaithful. She, he has every right to just walk away. And here is the real scandal in the story. Rather than leaving her, which would have been far less shameful and uh, more honorable uh, for you know to keep his honor up, Hosea actually goes after her and pursues her. Flip over to chapter 3. And take a peek at verse 1 and 2. It begins with Hosea actually trying to redeem his wife back and bringing her, literally buying her out of sexual slavery that she finds herself in and bringing her back home. And he's saying when he does that, you have to leave your promiscuous life, uh, but you're no longer condemned. Come home and be a part of the family. And that was an act that involved... Very likely, if she's, a, if she's a slave being sold like a slave, 
She's being stripped naked so that you can see. And so it's more humiliation. But look at verse 2 of chapter 3. So Isaiah buys her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and 430 pounds of barley. Scholars say that 30 shekels was actually the going price for slaves that day. And so what this tells us is he didn't even have enough money to actually pay full price. And he actually gave everything he had. He dug up every cent he could find to buy her back. Back to chapter 2. I want to read this in the living version. Back up a little bit to verse 14, Hosea, Hosea chapter 2. But I will court her again. I'm going to read this in the living version. I will court her again and bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak to her tenderly there. There I will give back her vineyards to her and transform her valley of troubles into a door of hope. She will respond to me there, singing with joy as in days long ago in her youth, after I had freed her from captivity in Egypt. In that coming day, says the Lord, she will call me my husband instead of my master. O Israel, I will cause you to forget your idols, and their names will not be spoken of anymore. Look down in verse 19. And I will bind you to me forever with chains of righteousness and justice and love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and love, and you will really know me then as you never have before. He's got bad for her. And then you skip down to verse 23 of chapter 2 and you see that God actually takes care of the children as well. Jezreel is going to be prosperous, going to produce uh, fruitful things and not blood. And God's going to have pity on Lo Ruhamai, you know, the one that's named No Pity, and Lo Ami, the one that's not my people. The text says that it's going to be God's people again. A faithful God redeems his unfaithful people and recognizes, or excuse me, reconciles them with his love. Like Hosea redeeming the wayward spouse, God just redeems people. You guys remember that Johnny Lee song? I think it was Johnny Lee. Waylon Jennings may have done a version of it as well. Looking for love. You guys remember that song? Looking for love in all the wrong places. Remember that song? I got my Texas twain going, looking for love in too many faces, trying to find, just looking for love. Remember that song? Looking for love in all the... Is that not Israel? Is that not us sometimes? Just, you know, at its heart, this story is God coming to ransom people and redeem people and go after people who have been searching for love in all the wrong places. And there's another prophet, actually, Isaiah, who tells us that as they keep wandering off, and as he keeps going after them, that eventually it says, you know what, they keep wandering off, I keep going after them, I'm just going to go all the way. He tells Isaiah, there's going to be one that's coming, and it's not going to be not my people, or not pitied, or Jezreel, the one that's coming is going to be called Emmanuel. God is with us. Not God's against us or God's apart from us, but God with us. And He's going to take this extraordinary step of becoming a person Himself to redeem people, take them home. There's actually a recurring theme here that I see in Hosea. And I say Hosea, I guess we could say in all of Holy Scripture, but it is this. The recurring theme is go again. Go again. Go again. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read this in the English Standard. It says, And the Lord said to me, what does He say? And the Lord said to me, Church, do you have your Bibles open? And the Lord said to me what? Go again. Go again again 
Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and have and love cakes of raisins. I'm not sure what's going on with the raisin cakes, but go again. Go again. Yes, she has another man right beside her in her bed. Go again. Oh, she did it again. Go again. She did it again. Go again. Don't give up on her because I'm not going to give up on you either. Throughout the book of Hosea, there's, there's this thing that happened in the past that keeps being alluded to. It's basically the Exodus. It's an example of salvation. God redeems the people by bringing them up out of Egypt. Hosea says that is a pattern for how God will deliver His people. Look at Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Skip ahead a whole bunch of chapters. And this is, this is what this text says. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I called my son. You know who quotes that verse? Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Matthew quotes that verse. Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. Matthew says that prophecy was fulfilled. Remember when Jesus was born and there was a hunt for, for killing these babies and his family had to take him to Egypt where he was hidden, and after a little while, what happens? Comes up out of Egypt. It is an amazing prophecy, but the takeaway for you is this. In Hosea, God says, I redeemed you the first time, and you forgot about me, but I'm coming back, and this time I'm going to redeem you with my blood. Forget 15 shekels. I'm going all the way. I am all in on you. And that's how God continues to feel about you. So you have a sin habit. You keep falling back into it. What does God say to Jesus about you? Go again. Go again. Go again. Scandalous love. You think about the love that Jesus showed the people in His ministry. You think about how scandalous it was. He begins to preach and He's showing mercy and He's healing and He's doing these signs and people find out about the mercy that He's offering. And so He encounters these people, but, but some of them are kind of trapped in front of Him. He has this one woman that's kind of thrown at His feet, half naked. She has been supposedly caught up in adultery. And they're saying, what do we do with this woman? And, and Jesus finds this unique way where she's not being offered love or forgiveness. I'm going to offer her both. And he embarrasses the hypocritical crowd. And then he meets this woman in Samaria. And she's kind of got an embarrassing backstory. She's had five husbands. The the man she's living with is not her husband. She's a lot like Gomer. And he says to her, I'm going to give you living water. Here you are at a well, but you've got to keep coming back to this well. I'm going to give you water, and you'll never be thirsty again. And then he encounters Zacchaeus. (sighs) Greedy little Zacchaeus torpy little Zacchaeus. He's been sitting behind a tax collector's table. He's been ripping people off. And when Jesus finds him, where is he? He's literally up in a tree. And Jesus says, come down. I want to go to your house today. Somehow that relationship transforms Zacchaeus. And he becomes an honest man, a generous man. You think about how Jesus himself tells a story about a wayward son. A son who tells his dad, I wish you were dead. I really like your inheritance. And his dad goes ahead and gives it to him. He goes and in this stunning reversal of fortune, he comes slinking back to his father. He runs, he runs out to meet him. He embraces him. He welcomes him home. 
Isn't it kind of embarrassing? Isn't it kind of scandalous? That's the nature of grace. The thing about Jesus is, Emmanuel, He didn't come to bless the perfect. He didn't come to love in expected ways. He came to love in outrageously scandalous ways. Jesus is God's love going again. He didn't come to point His finger at the people that are in the tabloids. He didn't come to, to, to rail against the people who, who create secrets in bedrooms that aren't theirs. He came to ransom them. And understand this, God's love is His choice. It is not our reward. Don't miss that in this text. That Hosea's love was offered to this woman while she was a prostitute, while she was an adulterer, and she didn't have to free herself from prostitution. She did not have to clean herself up in order to merit His love. He offered it unconditionally while she was a prostitute. And that teaches us how we can escape the bondage of sin. Most people think they have to clean themselves up and make a bunch of changes and then God will receive them. But if Christian, in Christianity, acceptance and forgiveness and love, it comes first. And then change follows. God's love is the power that liberates us from captivity. It's not the reward for us having liberated ourselves. And you're talking about the city in this series. This city needs to hear that. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up in order to come here. You need to come here in order to get cleaned up by God's love for you. It's going to liberate you from the captivity that you're in. You're not going to be rewarded because you liberated yourself. We all sin because we feel like we're missing something. And we are. We're missing the eternal love of God. The ridiculous, scandalous love of God. God not only wanted Hosea to learn about His love for His people, He wanted Hosea to become a giver of that kind of love. That's what I think gets caught up for a lot of preachers. They preach this text and they say, it's all an illustration. But I think God was also working on Hosea as well. God's love turns Gomer's into Hosea's. He says to Hosea, go again, go again, go again. Because, by the way, Hosea, that's what I do with you every time. He wants us who have experienced outstretched arms to also, in turn, outstretch our arms. To the parent who has been forsaken by the child. To the husband who feels neglected. To the minority that's been sidelined. To the boss who feels misunderstood. To the wife who's been taken for granted. Go again, Hosea. Go again. Go again. Here's the, what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that your outstretched arms will change the gomers in your life. I'm not saying that when you outstretch your arms to the city, the city will automatically accept that. Sometimes gomers don't change. The gomer in this text in Hosea, she never really changes. But I can guarantee you this, outstretching your arms will change you. It will make you more like Jesus. And isn't that God's goal for us? That's been the objective from the beginning. I want to pause with this. I want to kind of end with this question. Why do people stay away from church? And Because they do. A lot of people do. In a really good city, a city that really has it going on religiously, uh, maybe 35% of the city will be going to church. That's, a, that's like a holy roller, Bible belt, buckle of the Bible belt city. 
Much, most cities are far less than that. Why do people stay away from church? Most wayward people stay away from church because there is no one willing to pursue them in love and to offer them grace and to welcome them home and to love them scandalously. The church of Jesus Christ has, in a lot of ways, lost our pursuit of scandalous love, radical love, unconditional love, redeeming love, love that costs, love that's embarrassing. Love that reaches out to the broken with an open hand rather than a clenched fist. I guess, do you know people around you who are in need of some scandalous, unconditional, reconciling love? Then what's God saying tonight? He's saying, go again. Go again. Or maybe it's you who needs it. Maybe you've been wandering off. Maybe you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Maybe. Christ says, I ransomed you. He says, I didn't pay 15 shekels for you. I I poured out my blood for you. He says, will you come home with me? Hosea intentionally married a spouse who would soon leave him. God intentionally came to a people who had left him. Can we live in, can we give in to that kind of scandalous love? That's our challenge tonight. Let's ask God's blessing as we seek to do that. Father, thank you so much for... This story is kind of heavy, Lord, for us to hear on an August evening, but we are thankful for it. I'm thankful for the clarity of your word tonight, the way that this story that is so ancient, that happened so many centuries ago, comes alive for us, and we see this relationship. We think about what this relationship must have been like, and Lord, we learn from it. Lord, help us to go again, to go again and scandalously love the people of this city. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.